This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Well, I think that's one of the biggest topics of importance right now is that young entrepreneurs go one of two ways. They either say, why do I need anyone to help? I can do it myself. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'll do okay. Sometimes they really mess up. Or they spend their savings or their investment money too heavily right. in things that either aren't effective or shouldn't have been obtained in that way. And I think there's a middle ground. What you really need from an agency right now is their connections and their savvy. But if, if you go into business, if you're applying for a job, people will draw some conclusions. And if they're not the right ones, first of all, think that through. But also think about just for the sake of protection, for your future, for your family, being authentic in ways that are recorded so that it's, it's there and you're protected. Yep. And people, we even went through an exercise in our own company, um, GBD, at the end of each day, kind of do a self-assessment. What did I do that was good, that I'm really proud of? Mm -hmm. What could I have done better? And what am I downright going to do differently? The center is the customer. They're the ones who are paying for everything. I just saw this as, oh my God, this is like my chance. Quarter of a million dollars, it was almost surreal. You can't just cut out one person in the supply chain in order to solve the problem. Those are the kind of people you want. You respect them, their integrity, their intelligence, their ability, their can-do attitude, hard work. Welcome to the fifth and final installment of the uh, winter 2017 UC Santa Barbara Distinguished Speaker Series. I'm John Greathouse. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Greathouse. We have Cheryl Snap Connor with us tonight. Cheryl is an entrepreneur, accomplished writer, a business person, and as you're going to see, just a fabulous communicator. She founded, she's the founder and CEO of Snap Connor PR, and she's also the co-creator of Content University. She's a popular speaker, author, and national columnist on business communication and PR issues. In, in addition to heading up her own PR agency in Salt Lake, she finds the time to write for Forbes. And I, as some of you know, I also write for Forbes. I'm a rookie compared to Cheryl. Cheryl has had over 30 million views in her, of her articles. She's getting about 20,000 views a day. A day. So if you think about that, if you have a blog and you're getting 20,000 views a month, that's pretty good. Like most people's personal blog or even professional blog, or company blog, I have companies whose blogs don't get 20,000 views a month, let alone 20,000 views a day. It's unbelievable. She also reads for P uh, writes for PC Magazine and Inc. and Huffington Post uh, and the Wall Street Journal. As I noted, she is an author. She wrote Beyond PR, Communicate Like a Champ in the Digital Age. Highly recommend it. Get it on Kindle. Um, it's actually... It's not written for young people, but I actually think it is a very applicable for young people. So just the people in this audience, as well as everyone uh, watching and listening to this um, online, she speaks, and we're going we're gonna to talk about some of these specific examples, but she speaks to young people in a variety of ways through that book. It's, it's, um, it's well worth reading. I'm jealous that ClearPoint Strategies named her one of uh, the world's top 20 business thought leaders to follow. That's probably why she has a lot more followers than I do. But Cheryl is a great 
uh, example of a, a great connector. One of the reasons I wanted to bring her in and introduce her to, to you guys is she has just a phenomenal gift for connecting with people, obviously in person, and you're going to see that here, but online. So I, I had a, uh, a, a, just an informal relationship with Cheryl, a collaboration. We hadn't spoken for years. And we finally spoke, I think, for the first time in the fall, and then we met for the first time a couple of weeks ago at an event that Cheryl um, invited me to. I was very happy and very flattered to be invited to it. So it's difficult to establish that kind of rapport just online. Um, obviously, she's a great writer, she's a great communicator, but I think that's really a, her secret weapon. I think it really allows her to engage with people um, in an, you know, almost in an unlimited fashion. And that's, the, that's one of the skills I really want young people to develop. You guys have that ability to reach out to kind of anybody in the world. The ability to be able to reach out with, to them and engage them is, is powerful. Uh, and Cheryl is able to do that. It's pretty, it's pretty um, spectacular. She's also giving back to her community. As you guys know, I really look for entrepreneurs to bring in here that don't just have a big bank account. Um, I really look for people that are well-rounded with their personal and professional lives. Cheryl has given back to her community in a number of ways. I'll name a couple. She's been the trustee of the Utah Technology Council for, I think, about 13 years. She's also an advisor to the Gentleman's Project, which uh, works with fathers to establish better rapport and better relationship with their children. I can't think of a, a better mission than that. And, and really, finally, I just want to leave you with the thought that she's a living example um, that you can be really nice, really compassionate, really empathetic, and really successful in business. That stereotype that Hollywood likes to jam down our throat about really you know, takes mean people to be successful. Cheryl's a living example that that's absolutely not the truth. And I think, her, I think one thing that she, you know, when she was reaching out to me and engaging me you know, probably three or four years ago, one thing I found that's consistent with Cheryl is she gives before she gets. It's natural to her. It's just the way she operates, but it's a real powerful way to engage with people. If you're willing to give without really expecting or um, looking for anything in return, we all know that it comes back to you. It'll come back to you either directly or indirectly, but it will come back to you in some way. And that's a lesson a lot of adults never learn. So if you get nothing else out of uh, tonight's talk, listen to the way Cheryl has given without an expectation of getting anything. Um, and obviously, it's paid off uh, in her career in spades. Let's give her a rousing UCSB welcome. Thank you. Wow, who's that person? I'd love to live up to that. You will. No, when Cheryl came here, I mean, just to, again, I talked about her, her giving nature, flew in from Utah. You are an incredibly busy person. Um, you know, we don't have a big budget to pay for people's <laughs> flights or hotels or anything, and, and all of that you're doing out of your graciousness, and I really, I really appreciate of that. Love to meet entrepreneurs. Yeah, thank you. So I, I know you met with some students beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's always helpful for, for young people to, to understand your path. I mean, they could sit up there and say, well, yeah, she's successful, but, you know, it must have been some magic or something, you know, something that I could never, <laughs> um, you know, uh, emulate. So if you want to just talk a little bit about when you were in college, was PR something you knew you always wanted to do? Was it something that just happened for you? What was that path? Not at all. In fact, I thought I wanted to perhaps be a journalist or to sew. I didn't know what I wanted to do. My major was family resource management. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know that. Out of interest, I also had a minor in English, primarily because there were enough credits I could declare it. Nice. And I considered it too important to gloss over. You know, math, on the other hand... There it went. 
And I guess some of my decisions have reflected that. I joked earlier that as a writer, I don't love math, but as an entrepreneur, I've learned to respect it. Right, right. We must. Right. But I had no idea going into college what, where I'd end up. I did, though, end up with the Fine Arts College of Brigham Young University, which is my alma mater. They had a PR department for that college, the only college on campus that had its own PR department. And I got to work in it, although I was a secretary to the head of that department. But that was my first exposure. Loved it. Loved what they were doing. So I guess I did get a taste, at least, back then. So I, I overheard um, some of what you were telling students when I came in at the end of your conversation. I want to dovetail on what you just said. Um, I'm, I'm always preaching internships, get an internship, mm-hmm. get a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you made the point earlier that if you think you want to do PR, mm-hmm. I mean, how can you know at this age? You really don't know for sure. But go ahead and do it, even on a smaller, I don't want to take all the words out of your you mouth, bet. but even on a smaller scale, a club or Sure, a... try it out. There's an organization called PRSSA. I'm sure there's a chapter here that you can participate in. You can volunteer for one of the programs. It might teach you some lessons about whether you like PR or not, but regardless, people bemoan the fact that it's tough to get that first position, that people, even me, will say, okay, come to me for your second job, not your first. Right. But if you lead a program there and you prove what you've done, there are metrics, you learn some things in the process, that's, that's really important. It can be valuable in a number of levels. Well, I always tell students or young people in general, come in with a work portfolio. Mm-hmm. Don't just come in with a vague desire to do something. If you sit across from me and you say, I think I want to do PR, okay, I can't do much with that. But if you sit across from me and you say, John, I've been doing PR, and I'll give you five examples. Maybe it was you know, promoting a jogathon or right. you know, whatever. You know, we went from having 50 people at the jogathon to 300 or whatever the numbers are. That's going to tell me that you might have some of the raw material that I can then help you mold into something interesting in your career. Well, and those are project-based, so that's good, too. If those had been jobs, people would look at it and say, so what? Are you right. a job hopper? Right, right. But if they're projects... But if you're a student and you put yourself out there to promote an right. event or whatever it was... And you don't have to put every project on your resume. If some of them you didn't like, ignore them. Right. But put the ones that represent your real interests and talents, and then you've got something meaningful to share. And have a story to tell. Exactly. Right? So, you know, have that, be ready with that story about the bake sale that, you know, was off the charts or whatever. <laughs> so it might be helpful for um, some of the folks listening in to, to give a distinction between corporate communications, marketing, and public relations. Mm-hmm. You fit squarely in public relations, but you have to work in that ecosystem. You need to work in that. In fact, my first exposure as a formal physician was at a tech company named Novell. I was hired into the public relations department as a writer and within 90 days was made manager of the PR department. So that was feet first. The company (laughs) went through four acquisitions, an IPO. It was an, an education like I couldn't have asked for. I could have not walked in even two years later and said, okay, with my background, Hire me for this role. I right, just right. agree with it. But my life was not my own. There was, that was the flip side of it. But corporate communications is the job of representing a company. It tends to be more diverse and widespread. It interfaces very closely. It should be an adjunct of the marketing department, which is the product plans, the messaging, the market that you address. Then communication should be a full embodiment and reflection of that. Also, investor relations. Mm-hmm. If it's a publicly traded company, right. you and that department should be hand in glove. You could really mess each other up in some significant ways. Yep. But if you work together, it's a huge advantage. So I know you work with companies across the board. You don't mm-hmm. work with 
just big companies or just small companies. I know you're an mm -hmm. entrepreneur at heart, mm -hmm. which really, I th it's got to help you when you sit across the table from an entrepreneur. You have that empathy already. Absolutely. You're building your own business. You're dealing with personnel and all the things you, you mm -hmm. get to deal with as an entrepreneur. What are some of the, I don't know if you want to call them common mistakes, or mm -hmm. what's the pattern that you sort of see an entrepreneur when they're maybe in the mm -hmm. early conversations with you about a PR firm that you have to sort of dissuade them or keep them from making? Well, I think my own experience as an entrepreneur has helped guide what I would ask them first. And the first thing is, okay, what is it you want that PR to accomplish for your business? What do they often say? And the awareness. And I'll mm. kind of pull mm. their chain and say, okay, run for public office, get in a hot tub with an underage girl, front page, or guy, job done. Or guy. Or guy. Or guy. So people laugh and then they get it. And I say, you know, there are a lot of ways to get awareness. Not all of them would advance your business. So tell me the barrier between you and the next level of business and what you think PR could do to move it. And if you can't tell me, maybe I'll empathetically make some suggestions. But to just ask for awareness is right. short-sighted and right. a waste of money. Right. Yep. Yep. What I've seen, in, um, and I'm sure you've seen this too many more times, a young company or an inexperienced entrepreneur mm -hmm. will get them in front of the press, mm -hmm. and no matter even if you've coached them, they'll start talking about the benefits to the customer, because that's mm -hmm. the world they live in, right? They live in this world of, I'm, I'm doing customer benefits features and all this stuff. And really, when you sit down with someone in the press in a public relations context, you should be talking to them about what their readers are interested exactly. in. Because I'm, I'm a writer, I'm not trying to sell your product. I'm trying to satisfy the interest of my readers. Mm -hmm. So how does, how does this interaction, how does your company satisfy the interest of my readers? If you start looking at it through that lens, which mm -hmm. is a different lens than the lens that you have right. when you're trying to sell a product. Right. Have you, have you had to coach people through that, or is oh, that something that you've seen? That's the golden rule. Yeah. If you would just, even in pitching someone like John or like me, all of these people start out with, I've done this, I've done that, I've had this feat, I've had this accomplishment, and we try to care, but we don't really care, because how would that matter? I've even said that to people. How would that compel other entrepreneurs? Well, they should be inspired by what I've done. Well, maybe they should, but they won't, because they're going to be only interested in what's in it for them. Right. So if you're willing to tell your experiences, the good ones and even the bad ones, what about the days things didn't go as planned? How did you pull it out? What did you learn in the process? That they will care about more than your greatest days of accomplishment. So, so think that through. What's in it for that reader? How will this benefit them? And then um, I'm, I've sadly even seen pitch sessions open with a screen of the inside of a product Talking about speeds and feeds and features was something yeah, I don't right, care about because right. I don't even know what it is. Right, so. right, right, right. Yeah, most, most writers, unless they're some tech magazine or something, aren't going to care. Even either. then. Yeah, even then they don't <laughs> care, right, exactly. Um, I, we'll go to the, the next student's question in a second. I, I'm curious um, with your book, was, what, what was the most sort of surprising interaction you had with it? Or, was, or did it take you in a direction that you just didn't anticipate? Because a lot of people contemplate yeah. writing a book. What, what was that general experience afterwards? Well, interestingly, I got started down the path because so many people, when I was speaking and such, would say, so where's your book? Mm. What's the book you've authored? The only two books I authored, I co-authored with a wheelchair athlete, his life story. And um, only old people, you may be old enough, troubleshooting <laughs> network old. for the 286. 286 processor, yes, that old? I'm that old. Okay, I co-authored co with that book. I think we made back our advance. 
but so Which many people just said, authors. well, you know, and it's funny because I was talking to a book agent, a highly recommended book agent, because so many people had said, well, where's your book, where's your book? And when I had an article go crazy wild viral, I thought, okay, maybe now's the time to look into it. Mm. This was the surprise. It is kind of a canonical accomplishment that people see, and it's a real one. Okay, do you have a book? But when I went to the general publishing industry, they said, okay, if you are willing to do whatever it takes to make certain that is a New York Times bestseller, then you're up to bat. If you're not, I'll tell you what, you're on my B list. Anything that you do is going to be an albatross around your neck Mm. and mine for two years. Mm. And I just thought, okay, I've watched people, peers of mine, spend three to $400,000 attempting to create a New York Times bestselling book and fail. And I just thought, this is not for me. 15 minutes, and I'm not an emotional person. She kind of had me in tears, called my friend, said, if I'm on the B list, are we still friends? <laughs> she called me right back up. And I, I got to thinking, you know what? What if I wrote a Forbes ebook mm-hmm. that would hit mm-hmm. that bar? It would not take years out of my life. Right. It's only 69 pages, so it's a fast read, but has really the core of what I'd like to communicate in it. That was it. The bottom of my SIG file has that Forbes ebook, and it's a good one. I'm proud of that work. My son edited the book with me, so it was fun yeah. for him too. Yep. But that met that criteria. So it's, I think, the same kind of thing you would ask about PR. What is the job you were hiring that PR to do? And then you can decide what it is and how far to go with it. Well, you were running a company as well. It's yes. not like you're on the beach and you're like, no. oh, I think I'll write a book and spend 80 hours a week But you know what? Even if you did want to do that and it made sense, it doesn't have to be as hard. Think about um, Google Docs for mobile. It's free. Download it to your smartphone. All you would have to write is an outline. And while you're walking on the beach, Mm. whatever you're doing, driving in the car, speak a chapter a day or a week. And then if you can't edit it yourself, you've got a near-perfect transcript, file saved. Give it to an editor and let them them shape it into articles, into the book. You could have a wealth of content right there without having to undo your life. So, so it's maybe easier than some people think. I, I know I said I was going to go to the student question. One more. I just want to follow up on, and I, just, I might be stealing one of the students' questions, but I want to, I want to touch upon something I talked about in the introduction. Mm-hmm. So you guys just, I'm not over-exaggerating about how um, responsive you are. You are amazingly responsive. Like, I'll send you an email, and it's like, it's, there it is. You know, it's, and, and, and it's a thoughtful response. And how many people, if you could guess, how many people have you established that sort of a you know, responsive online relationship with over the years? It's got to be a big number. It's a big number. I have a following. It's close to 18,000 Twitter followers. Yep like 7,000 people on LinkedIn. There's a 5,000 limit on Facebook, so that's how many there are. I've actually learned to become less responsive. I love entrepreneurs. I would love to respond to everyone, but there's been an increasing need. You're on my short list, (laughs) as some people are. Thank you. But I need to relegate some things, or people can eat up too much time that I need for other purposes. Right, yep. Or they even wrongly assume, okay, you're expert in PR, so you owe me PR, and then it takes you away from the thing that you're doing as a core business because you're being expected, and maybe not inappropriately, because yeah. of what you've done yeah. to give it away. Did you write something about pick your brain? Was that 
Did we have that conversation about I can't remember. you hate it when people say I want to pick your brain because it um, sounds disgusting and it's a it's a because I know we both get a lot yeah, of yeah that. that wasn't me but we do okay. get a lot of that I, I've actually gone off on rants and columns about that and in fact recently one of my most recent in ink talked about this an entrepreneur wrote to me and oh I want to be in a high authority magazine and blah 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 look at our competitor they're there they're there and I look a little closer and that very writer it actually happened to be a Forbes writer right on their masthead it says what they're looking for then their bio says i love to follow companies who live all out who are passionate who do these things i follow travel i follow real estate if you want to talk to me here's my email address could it be any more plain right. as a blueprint if you fit those criteria email the guy if you don't right go another way and here people are just moaning and moaning or just wildly pitching oh you write an article and way off base that yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. That's like brain picking. Like, I don't want to think. I don't want to do my job. Yep. I want you to do it for me. Yep. Make it I have easy. A, I have a standard reply. I do try to reply to every email. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to get a million more. But I do try <laughs> to reply at least, you know, just like, hey, I'm yep. not a fit for you. And I had a reply. I did Not a template. I type it every time, which I probably is silly. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I'll reach out to people like, you know, I have a long queue of articles. That mm-hmm. doesn't fit with my article. I get the craziest stuff, too. I though. know. They just see that you write for Forbes, and they're like, I have a submarine, and can you write about it? I was like, no. <laughs> they're wasting their own time. I got kind of rude. In fact, I told the students a little earlier that one PR firm, and this is a PR firm. They're hired, and I know how much they cost. It's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Send the same off-base pitch again and again. My client has written a book. Could you please interview him mm. and write about his book? I only write about PR. Right. Two weeks later, they forward the same message. It's almost <laughs> Easter. How are you doing? I haven't heard back yet. So can yeah. you? By the third time, I thought, okay, I'm betting I could find this author on LinkedIn. And I did. And send him a message. And I said, you know, I think you maybe should see this email chain. Yeah. He was horrified. Right. Horrified. He fired them on the spot, and it was kind of my fault. He said, can I hire you? And I said, well, no, that's a conflict <laughs> of interest because right. I, I did this in a reporter capacity. But the irony was that once we got talking, he really did have a story. Oh, really? If those same PR so the poor people, delivery did not convey that. They didn't distill deep enough to right. say this is what would be interesting or this would maybe fit your column. That would be yes. a world of difference. Yes. I do occasionally get an email. They'll say... This article and this article and this article leads me to believe that this story might be of interest to you. And it usually is. I don't, I just have a lot of things to write about as you do, but at mm-hmm. least I respect that. And I've even pointed them into other directions like, hey, maybe this would be a good fit for you. Because I feel like they took the time to really do some research. I'm going to mm-hmm. take more time and try to help them. All right, I really am going to take the first student's question now. Hi there. Hi. Um, so, referencing from your article, which you posted on Forbes.com, Business and PR. You mentioned how L.L. Bean was suffering losses from President Trump's endorsement. Um, I'm wondering how companies such as Uber Technologies, Under Armour, and L.L. Bean, who have all publicly supported President Trump's policies at one point, can avoid suffering from public backlash and avoid massive losses from social boycotts. What what, uh, PR strategies would you recommend to these companies to help them save face and restore their public reputation? So first off, regardless of who you support, And even regardless of this crazy election, I would say you are really walking on dangerous ground if you're going to take a political stand as a company. You Mm -hmm. really should not. Think Mm -hmm. it through. How many people are in your customer base? Are there any of them you'd want to offend? Maybe a couple, but not (laughs) very many. 
So, so think that through, and maybe in the first place, have your message be support your beliefs, get involved. If you don't like the way things are, make them different. Be an agent for change. Let that be a message that can resonate with everyone. But people who support a candidate, and in L.L. Bean's case, that was particularly onerous because it wasn't even the company. It was a board member. And because she had contributed more than the allowed limit, mm. it came to light. And L.L. Bean actually, the, I've written about this. They did a wise thing. They made a statement immediately. We support all parties. We support all people. We don't take a side. So they let that be their last statement on it, as they should. And they put that out on their Facebook page. So that was public. But then the president put out this tweet that said he, it was in support of this woman, which I guess he was trying to give her his personal thanks and support, but he mm. ends the tweet with, by L.L. Bean. Mm. Now it's even raised a legality issue. Right. Now, in that case, he was still president-elect. He wasn't president, but it is not legal for a federal employee to give an endorsement of a product. You know, it's one thing for President Reagan to eat a lot of jelly bellies. <laughs> People notice that. Maybe they like that, too. Right. But in this case, it was no favor. It actually was a backlash, and then people were saying, we're going to boycott the product and the company. I do think that craziness will end, but that it's bad, bad juju and bad practice to support any political party as a company. If you do, just expect it to not go well, no matter who the party is. And in fact, one of my PR friends mentioned she was walking through New York, picked up an item of clothing, saw Ivanka Trump's label on it, and she said, I instinctively dropped it like it was on fire. And I know better. You know, you just emotionally equate right. with things. And if you're not in favor of those people, it's, it carries over. So you would want to do as much as you can to not get into that political fray. And if you're already there due to prior decisions or a board member or what have you, make a statement and then back it up by consistent behavior over time that you really do mean that. Go for general get involvement, activism, Habitat for Humanity, other programs that aren't so divisive, and show your patriotism in that way that everyone can get behind, and, and you're much better off. So you do have some damage control if that's not what you've done already, but it's not too late. I, I wrote an article, um, and I totally agree with you. I wrote an article years ago about the Chick-fil-A mm -hmm. It was, mm -hmm. I think the founder had an issue or whatever. My point was, and I know not everyone agrees with my point, but my point was, shut up and sell was the name of the article, like from the old Dixie Chicks thing. Just <laughs> you're, you're not in the business of trying to tell people, you shouldn't be in the business of telling people how to live their lives mm -hmm. or what your political beliefs are. Do that on your own time, do that with family or friends or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the reason I wrote that article is I think it's really unfair. And it, I'm talking about, don't, it's not that issue, I agree or disagree with that okay. particular issue. It's just I think it's very unfair when you have all these constituents, you have people that work for you, you have suppliers, you have okay. um, vendors, lawyers, accountants that are, that are counting on you mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to run your business so that you can pay the bills. Mm -hmm. I feel like you owe them um, an obligation to not throw sand in the, in the um, gears with your own beliefs. Whether I believe with that belief or I don't agree with that belief isn't the issue. It's more of just don't, don't mix the two. Right. I just don't see the You have to there. be careful. We actually, an, an, an EVP in my own company is a legislator right now. 
And we all supported him in that, but we learned a hard lesson too that no matter how great it is that somebody would invest their time and their energy and do this, well, no matter what party or beliefs he holds, they're not going to be everyone's. Exactly. So you can't bring it to work. And anyone ought to have fair opportunity to be supported in those endeavors. It can't just be one person and I'm doing such a good thing, so right. everyone should rally. Right. right. That's not the case. Yep. Well, this, this is somewhat related. So I like, um, getting back to your book, I like how okay. you talked about building a personal brand. Yeah. I like how you talked about things you can safeguard a personal brand. Mm -hmm. I think for young people, sometimes they're not sure, like what, they, it, there's a little bit of consternation or confusion between a brand and being fake or being inauthentic, and that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, those two are not, um, you know, binary. You can mm -hmm. be very authentic and still be, and still curate your brand. Right. I, can you talk a little bit about the concept of a personal brand and how people can safeguard it? And well, you have a personal brand, even if you haven't thought about it, and even if it's not deliberate or conscious, you're already there to a degree. What clothing you chose, what things you do in your pastimes, what friends you choose, that's part of that brand. What you really want to think about is what aspects of who you are, what you stand for, what you believe in are evident and findable on the web. And it's important to think it through, if for no other reason than nobody is immune from a bad day happening that you couldn't have predicted to the degree that you are on the record for the authentic person that you are, you are better off because there is evidence already in place that allow people to draw their own conclusions about, is that really you? If you have a bad day and did something and somebody took it out of context on social media, I wrote about one um, fairly young woman. It cost her her two biggest accounts, and she was all over the Today Show, Good Morning America. Mm. She had a very unpopular political view and stated it on Facebook, thinking it was just to her personal friends. Mm. She was also CEO of a small company, and it became so mercurial. She said something about why would we want a woman president? They're emotional. When there are so many good men who could fill that role, why do that? And mm. it went nuts to the degree that the major news outlets found her clients and were questioning them. Wow. Two of them quit her. She actually goes by a different last name now and wow. merged with another company. I said, did you recover? She says, we're, and this was one election cycle later. She says, I think we're nearly there. Mm. One bad comment. And that one was particularly, um, maybe unusually strong to put out on social media or anywhere. She maybe could have kept that private. Right. But if, if you go into business, if you were applying for a job, People will draw some conclusions, and if they're not the right ones, first of all, think that through, but also think about just for the sake of protection, for your future, for your family, being authentic in ways that are recorded so that it's, it's there and you're protected. Yep. Well, I think I like that point of you have a personal brand whether you curate it right. or not, so, and, you, and many folks at, at this age are just at that point where they're starting to mm -hmm. really be proactive and think about it. So I'd also like that you talked about writing a brand manifesto mm -hmm. as a young person especially, <laughs> yeah. um, and then also um, you know, looking for brand role models. Mm -hmm. So w do you have any suggestions for brand role models, or do you want to talk a little bit about what that brand manifesto looks like? Is sure. that something you talk to clients about as well? Or? I talk to clients about it more than individuals, but it still applies. And because you're going to be potentially in interview situations, mm -hmm. or even if you go out by yourself, hang up a shingle and you're now a business, the characteristics that you want to embody in that business, that is part of your brand manifesto. 
So think about that. And before you go too far down that path, it is extremely appropriate to have brand role models, but I'd choose more than one. For example, if you walk out and you're a programmer and you have the hoodie thing, okay, that's been done. <laughs> you know, think about that. Somebody already owns that brand, and do you want to embody everything about that one individual in mm -hmm. your own brand? Mm -hmm. So think about the qualities. I, I used to think this was a little bit narcissistic and egotistical, but I have changed my tune. When I've sat down with some of the women executives I like, and, and one of them says, well, I'm kind of tech but I'm kind of this and I'm kind of that, and I think, oh, brother, get over yourself. However, she had a good point. So, so think about a few role models. Think about the things that you admire in each and create your own brand. So it is you. It's uniquely you, but it's made up of the combination of the things you admire most, and then just make it your own. I don't want to put you on the spot, but are you comfortable publicly saying who your brand role models are? Um, Sure. One of them is Condoleezza Rice. And she's ethnic, she's woman, she's talented, and she's, you know, regardless of political affiliation, I just love that she's been her own person mm -hmm. all along and really excelled without getting caught up in drama. Yep. You know, I don't, I don't envision her as somebody that you're going to see on a tabloid. Right. Or to much care about right. whether her fashion was this or that, even though she's always very well put together. Yep. And I would have voted for her. So I, I don't know if you've ever seen her speak. I, mm -hmm. I was really you have I, I was really lucky or fortunate to be invited to a pretty intimate gathering, mm -hmm. and she spoke, and I was just blown away. Like no notes, no. This isn't a speech she's given five hundred times. Mm -hmm. Just that comfortable in her, you know, just comfortable talking. We were talking about it was right after this is probably like five or six years ago. So not right after Bush left office, but a couple mm -hmm. years after, and just a very thoughtful um, look back on on right. the events. Just, I wish I had that kind of I, you know, ability. I admire her. Fantastic. My first boss, I was very lucky in tech, was a woman, a senior vice president. She became my mentor and role model. She was absolutely unflappable. Things could be falling apart around her right and left, and you wouldn't know it. She kept her wits about her. Hugely good trait, and I've tried to, I've tried to model that, if for no other reason than when you're emotionally rot. You've given away half your playing cards. Now yeah. you're reacting. You're not right, right. acting. So just the ability to either step back or sleep on a decision, make it the next day, yep. rather than letting your emotions fly off the handle. Huge trait, and, and being, I always admired that. And being comfortable saying you don't know. Yes. Like even oh, telling absolutely. yourself, I don't really have the answer here. I'm going oh to back up and think about it. I'm going to talk to somebody. It's hard. It's hard for everybody, especially when you're younger. The worst misquotes are people who didn't want to have to fess up and say, I right. don't know. So they punted right, right. in print. You mentioned mentors. Um, that's something that's big for me. I've written a lot about it, and I work with young people and encourage them all the time. I'll turn this around a little bit. Now, you talked about one of your mentors, but how about when a younger person wants you to mentor them in some fashion? Like, what do you find mm -hmm. appealing and attractive and mm -hmm. enticing versus off-putting? Um, if someone comes to me and they're offering value, First of all, that's there you huge. Go. That's what I said about you in your right? intro. Well, you know, and there is a, a woman younger than I am out of Chicago who I joined a Facebook group. It's Josh Steinley, I think you may know him too. Mm -hmm. He started an influencer group, and I think by and large, the majority of those members are younger people looking to acquire skills, connections, ideas. Uh, she was one of those people who actually has an editor, a, a main editorial role for an education magazine. Mm. 
she said that she'd been following my work for quite some time but hadn't worked up the courage to approach me cold, but now that we were in that group. But she opened that conversation by offering help Mm. and only secondarily asked my opinion on some things that she was doing. And as it turns out, it looks like she may become a Forbes contributor and good for her. I'd be thrilled. But really a remarkable person in that way, that offering value, not making demands, finding ways to get that advice and help conveniently rather mm-hmm. than drop everything, get mm-hmm. on the phone, I need some things. Right. That really is helpful. Yeah, good. And, you know, it, it, something else in those interactions with the younger person, make it easy for us to help you. Like, yes. we kind of want to help you, yeah. but you've got to make it easy. We're lazy and we only have so much time and we're not going to do, we're not going to go that far out of our way you make it super easy here's what i need john can you introduce me to this person here's the right here's the email i'd like you to forward can you do that sure it's not i need the next open hour on your calendar right. because can i, I got your something. brain oh yeah <laughs> that doesn't go well don't pick my brain no all right we'll take the next uh student's question hi hi um i look over your past experiences and i found that uh, you have a lot of volunteer experiences. So can you share with us like uh, some of your volunteer experiences and like what kind of volunteer experiences you like benefit volunteer you? Volunteer experiences. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, the Utah Technology Council is entirely volunteer. That's uncompensated, but it's been a great, great thing. So if there are associations in your field of interest and you can contribute, it's not only... Um, great to contribute that help. It's a very rich source of connections that can benefit you. Some of our clients have chosen us and hired us based on what they saw us do for that Utah Technology Council, so that's really good. Um, Other things might be personal interest. I am the mother of two adopted Russian children, and so that has nothing to do with public relations, but I love that I had the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. And I've even talked openly about how the internet played a role in that. This was some years ago, but thinking through, I had three boys, too late for a variety of reasons to have more birth children, but thinking if my youngest is 11, even if I could have surgical reversal and have another, there'd be an 11-year gap, adoption, there are 10 families ahead of me. Um, that was really, really a learning experience. I thought, what could be better than a ready-made child, ethnic's great, no problem, I I learned a lot in that process, and I learned a lot that helped me, and I've been able in some ways to help others. People go into adoption, as an example, without as much preparation as buying a car, and they're going into a whole realm of things they may not be aware exist. So that's been an interesting experience, too. Probably others, but those two come to mind for now. Yeah, and I do believe, I think I might have said this in this class at some point, that um, being a philanthropist of your time mm-hmm. is a selfish endeavor because you get so much back. You do. Um, you just the, that 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 the psychic rewards you get from mm-hmm. helping people. It's always hard, I think, to make that commitment. I mean, people approach me, and I'm always like, "What's involved? Mm-hmm. What do I have to do?" Because um, you're protective of your time. Mm-hmm. You have to be. But then once you step into that arena, and I mean, I've never done it and gone, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Right. Right. Never. I've always been like, wow, I need to do more well, of that. Well, and I think the smart organizations, and, you know, caveat, this is one of my clients, Feed a Billion. Mm. They are making it easy to participate just by likes or shares. That can count. That can help a corporate sponsor. They will sponsor those likes or those shares. So it's that easy 
to get involved, or a dollar could contribute 10 mm -hmm, meals. Mm -hmm. But they're using business acumen and the economy of scale, or you could direct a contribution to a place of the world. So it can do a lot for you. It's not just, okay, how many dollars, and how are we going to, right. to build the coffers? Particularly since the gentleman who started that one in particular, it's true heartfelt. So it's not, oh, our whole life is spent in fundraising because we've got an operation to fund. It's, it's all going straight to the activity mm -hmm. at hand. Mm -hmm. So find things like that where you can get involved and it doesn't have to be all-consuming. It doesn't have to take your time, but that a little bit of involvement could go a long, long ways. Those would be maybe top of the list as criteria. So we had we had um, Robbie Bach here, uh -huh. um, and he's one of the fathers of the Xbox, and has spent the last five or six years in mm -hmm. philanthropic endeavors. And he actually, um, this is an update for the class. He actually, in the course of our conversation, mm -hmm. we encourage students to go out there and do something, um, you know, not necessarily philanthropic, but just give back. And a number of students emailed me, and I forwarded the emails on to Robbie, telling me about the things that you guys had done. So there was a number of students in here that went out. You know, some people joined a volunteer at a food bank. It's just, you know, it's just nice that you feel like you don't have time as a student, but that's what you do have when mm -hmm. you're young. You're not yeah. necessarily going to write a check, but the that experience can you can parlay that into when you're sitting down for an interview. Right. You know, how are you different? Well, you know, I believe in community. Well, everybody believes in community. What does that mean? Well, here's what I did. I just think it's, a, it's just a nice proof point that you're, you know, you're, you're more than just a bunch of empty words. And it's good for business. We just, oh. that, that event that you joined us at yep. gave a Lifetime Achievement Award to Quincy Jones. I was stunned by how much he has accomplished. Mm. Just starting out as a disadvantaged youth in Chicago, yeah, he right. says, I think all gang activity started there. I learned about that fast, right. but found music. So he has found through his life ways to expand that love of music and that enrichment to so many others. And I was just dumbfounded. And you know, nine and a half million dollars in Ethiopia nice. for meals. And he couldn't have done that even as a highly successful person on his own. That took an awful lot of people to join. Mm -hmm. and, and part of that was pressure on that government to spend more in solving the problem right. itself. But you know, all of those things are doable and they can involve things that you are your passion and that you love anyway. And it's good. It's good for you in business as well. He's another one. I don't know him personally, but I know people that have worked with him. A nice guy. People just oh like, my gosh. Like, like him and like working with him. So let me get back to your book for a second. So one of the other pragmatic things that I liked was you had a section in there on how to communi communicate with your boss. Uh -huh. Again, helpful for everyone, but especially for younger people that don't have a lot of experiences talking to their boss. And I'll just rattle off some of the things you <laughs> talked about and then just get your gestalt feedback. So things like ego, tone, temper, territory, don't put a gun to someone's head. Look for solution. I love that one. Mm -hmm. When people come to me with problems, I'm like, give me a solution here. I've got my own problems. Mm -hmm. uh, and then show the emotional maturity. You kind of talked about um, emotion a minute ago, mm -hmm. getting in the way. But, but also when you're working with your boss, have that emotional maturity that maybe they lack even. We've all had bosses right. where they had issues. Right. Anything, I, I kind of rattle all this off, but is there anything else on, on how to communicate with your boss, particularly for a younger person? I'd say... Emotional maturity, learn everything you can about it, cultivate as much as you can. It will mean more to you ultimately than your trade or your skill. If you can use emotional maturity in approaching that person and any person with what is in it for them, how can I aid them, how can, how can I help them by bringing this concern forward? And I would come forward and have at least one solution 
in my pocket. Or come and say, here's what I'd like to do about this. Do I have your blessing or do you have another? Mm -hmm. So give them the chance to approve it or mm -hmm. know it. Mm -hmm. But don't just walk in with a complaint. Right. Right. You know, th people who've come to me and just said, I'm not happy. Well, good for you. What would make you happy? I don't know. Okay. Not, I can't invent scenarios around you for you right. to dip your toe in right. and see if right. I've met the mark. You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. And if people don't, they're going to end up either getting moved or have to move. And that's what happened in this case. The person never got happier, and it just went downhill from there. I, I find that um, it's hard. I mean, some people, you can't make them happy. Mm -mm. And, you know, it's almost like the bad marriage that starts with the other person thinks I'm going to change that person. You're probably not going to. And I have had employees that were like that, too. It just seemed like they weren't ever going to be happy. Um, but let me ask you this. So speaking of happiness, your own happiness, your firm's mm -hmm. happiness, your employer, employee's happiness, have you fired a client? Have you ever had a client where you've tried, you've tried, you've yes. tried, and you've just said, okay, you know what? But I framed it so that it did respect them. I have fired clients, but it's been more in terms of, here's my concern for you. The expectations that you have are a tall order and not one that I think will propel your business in the way that you expect, we're not going to be a good fit for this. Mm -hmm. So let's decide what to do from here. So you're bringing them on the same side of the table, but be firm about the boundaries. We can't continue beyond X. So let's figure out what that means and how we're going to enact a transition. And so treat them respectfully. Don't leave them in the lurch. Right. It's the same thing as leaving a job. And there's a wise statement that people may not remember what you did in your job as much as how you left it. Mm. And I, I've experienced lately, well, no, I, can't, I won't say lately, two years ago, there were, there were two people who left my firm badly, and it didn't come out well for either one. Mm -hmm. But it was just this, I think, impulsive, emotional, there yeah, again, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna get that boss in the back, right, I'm gonna right. show them. Well, that works once and for a month. And honestly, even leaving one company for their arch rival, you know, breaching them. That pain lasts for that boss for one month. Mm. After that, all the problems, all the dysfunction is now in the competitor's camp and hopefully for a high price. So I should have said them they're wrapped up in a bow. <laughs> so it's only a good thing right. after that. Right, 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 right. But it's just, you have to think through. It's a small world. It's getting smaller. Yep. Somebody who can't get a reference it is in a bad way. So, you know, those are things to think through too. That it, There are ways to leave a job with dignity. Stay partnered with that boss. You don't have to be there. They don't expect that you would be, but if you do it in a way that respects them, keeps them aligned, doesn't leave them in the lurch, mm -hmm. it will pay off. Yep, I totally agree with that. I'm gonna go to the next student after this because I want, I have one more, sorry, that was a head fake. <laughs> I have one more question about emotional maturity. Uh -huh. So, listen, I'm not, I I'm probably could still um, work on this, and that's uh -huh. taking constructive criticism. Oh, yeah. I've gotten better. As a young person, it was hard for me. Any tips on anyone, especially young people, on uh -huh. taking that? Because it's the only way you get better is to be told what you need to improve on. And some people are, you know, they don't have the bedside <laughs> manner that you would like. But any tips for a young I'm person? I'm so glad you brought that up. That is an Achilles heel. If you can't take constructive feedback or constructive criticism, just this week, right. I sat down with the head of a DC agency and mentioned to him, I just said, oh, I think we have a past employee in common. And that's all I said. 
and he opened up and he said, what an interesting person. He said, I realized shortly into this person's employment, his screen was broadcast in a client meeting and it was immediately apparent he couldn't spell. Mm. And he was in public relations. So he said, I quickly got that computer back away, talked to him later and said, how did you get through the job interview here? Where did those writing samples come from? And he was truthful. He said, um, the U of U writing lab. Mm. Okay, I'm going to assign you a press release. You write this, come back on the deadline. It came back. It was horrific. Mm. This was a good boss. He said, I have found a tutor and I would like for you to spend time with this tutor at our cost twice a week. The fellow quit. Rather than submit wow. to that coaching, he quit. Wow. He quit. He came back from D.C. to Utah and continued to cover up that lack and is close to running out of options. The other one, the one in my employment who kept saying, I'm not happy, couldn't take feedback. Not at all. Anything other than you're there, but thinking this through, I think my mistake in hindsight was not forcing the issue sooner, thinking to a fault, oh, the person will grow, they'll mature, they'll grow into this someday. They don't. Mm -hmm. They sit there, they're unhappy, leave. And, and in this case, the person left for a competitor, but it blew up badly within weeks and is now stuck because the level that they say they're at right. you know, was very concerned about not having a reference. Well, there's a bigger concern than that, never getting up to bat far enough to need a reference right. because the person is saying, I'm at this level, I, and it's so, there's such an inequity because they've never been able to accept feedback. Mm -hmm. You do not want to be in that spot ever, ever. So by accepting feedback, even if it's humbling, and, and maybe do your best to get feedback from people who are constructive, and, and you can tell the difference. If somebody is heated and they're lashing at you, listen to the kernel in it, but don't let that eat you up. But do welcome feedback as a gift. And I would I'm take it another, uh, a little further. Seek feedback. Like, mm -hmm. be proactive. Right. Like, I, I felt like I was busy, but the one thing I think I did pretty well, I wasn't a very good manager, but I think one thing I did pretty well was, because I craved it as a young person, mm -hmm. I took the time to give detailed feedback. Mm -hmm. when I would do reviews of people and people really appreciate it they're like wow this was thoughtful this was so that's another way so I asked the question of how can you as a young person take feedback but there's also a way as a, as a slightly more mature person to give feedback to give in a way that people will accept it and embrace right. it and, and improve I just read some feedback this week from one of our clients their leadership development company that giving favorable and corrective feedback huge Huge. If people are reluctant to give one or the other, that's a problem. But mm -hmm. if you're willing to give both, right. you've given a gift and it makes you a very effective leader. Right. right. And people, we even went through an exercise in our own company, um, GBD, at the end of each day, kind of do a self-assessment. What did I do that was good, that I'm really proud of? Mm -hmm. What could I have done better? And what am I downright going to do differently mm. next time I face it? But Think that through. Maybe even write it down or put it on. There's an app called Day One that you can record oh, really? things like that on. That's kind of fun, and it's free. Mm -hmm. But GBD, you know, good, better, I'm completely going to do it differently next mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And that is a way of giving yourself feedback that's not as painful as hearing it from someone else, perhaps. Yep.
I think one of the most powerful secret weapons you can have as an entrepreneur or as anybody in business is self-awareness. Oh, yeah. I really agree. Really knowing so agree. what you're good at, what you're not good at, and being, right. embrace those things. Well, I'd like to end on um, something you hear a lot about in PR, mm-hmm. uh, and that's thought leadership. Uh-huh. Everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people think they want to attain thought leadership. How, how do, when you sit down with your clients, how do you define that uh-huh. as a concept? And then how do you try to approach them? Everybody can't be a thought leader. That's a reality. No. So how do you try to make that happen for your clients? Well, interestingly, there, there was a phase that everybody thought they should be an author or a columnist or the head of the hill. That's not realistic. It's not even advisable. But And, and to a degree, the concept of thought leadership is a jargon term to begin with. Not everybody that. gets it. Right, right. But influencer. If you want to be an expert source or an influencer in your category, that is realistic and everybody is. In fact, people who don't aspire to be an expert or influencer are if they think about that. And we can help draw that out of them. And interestingly, um, account selling, which means selling with stories or just engaging people, 80% more effective than brand selling. Mm -hmm. So if you're up rah-rah about your brand, that's not very effective. But if you, for example, tell a story about how would I choose a good bike helmet if it's from my child, what would I look for? What are the traits? Mm -hmm. I know some about this because this is either what my company develops or the company I work for develops. Now you've got something. And everybody is expert in something that others would like to know more about if you gave them the chance. That you can do, and that is powerful. So, well, that's the difference between selling and being authentic and right. even willing to say you don't know, willing to say that's outside of my expertise, um, willing to be vulnerable. It's a quiet, shy guy on LinkedIn, a big data expert out of Colorado, so shy. In fact, he said he has Asperger's in person. People, he, his wife and daughters struggle with him. He's got well beyond 10,000 subscribers who follow him. Wow. And he said, I write and I study for a couple of reasons. He says, one is because now this vast audience of people is expecting me to. Mm-hmm. But he also realizes if I want to know something, by and large, there are going to be other people who wonder the same thing. So take them on the journey with me. Mm. So I'm not pretending I know it all, but I'm doing my homework mm-hmm. and I'm letting other people participate in that homework. That's a highly valuable resource. And now that person, such as he is, you never see him jumping up and down on a stage, but he wields a whole lot of influence. So when he wants to exercise that, it will serve him well. And it, you know, think about if somebody wanted a bestseller book, maybe 10,000 copies on a good week would do it. Mm-hmm. So if you had 10,000 followers who would all sight unseen pre-order a book, right. whether you decide to act on that or not, you have that kind of power and pull. You could be a best-selling author mm-hmm. to this tribe or this following that considers you expert. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, it's like many things in life. Don't focus on that end result. Focus on that journey and building mm-hmm. to that end result. It's like making money. A lot of young people think, I just want to make money. It's like, well, that's fine. The money will follow right. if you do everything else right. Like if you solve problems, right. try to change the world a positive way be kind, be collaborative, all of those things. If you do all those things, money generally will follow you. But if it's just that angle of I want to make a bunch of money, uh, I would say good luck. Or just even wanting to be famous for the wrong reasons. All these people who come to me will sit down and they'll say, so how are you going to get me on Forbes? Let's cut straight to the chase. How are you going to do that? And this particular woman, she says, I need that marketing (laughs) megaphone. And I had to, then that's a client we never 
I, I had to not get involved with. Right. Well, there you go. I mean, that's the one. That wouldn't work. Not there. You're not no, there. but there was a 28-year-old young man. His name is Benjamin Hardy. You could look him up. He's a graduate student. He says, well, whatever I'm going to do for my business, I'm going to be writing, so I might as well hone the skill. Mm -hmm. Did that mm -hmm. and has done that with real intent to help other people. He has got 90,000 subscribers. Wow. He did an an email course at the first of the year, he made $90,000 in seven days. Wow. Just humbly selling this email course, and he had three publishers vying to get his first book, 220000 advance. Nice. And it wasn't, he had one offer that was higher than that, and he said, no, I feel better, I feel more aligned with this publisher. Wow, as a graduate student, how would that be to be that far ahead? Yep, yep. But he's... He's not caught up in fame. He says, you know, I've been published by Fortune and all of those things. That didn't really, it's a credibility marker. didn't really do anything for my business, and I'm right. here. Right. People feel a lot more comfortable stepping forward, commenting, engaging when I go out here, so that's where I'm going to be. Yep. That's pretty darn cool. That's a great example. And he's, he's apparently not that much older than you guys out here. So right. I'm expecting in a year or two some $220,000 advances. All right, Cheryl, thank you so much for thank coming. You. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.